So when I was a kid, uh, I was a sports kid. I played basketball, I played baseball, and you know, I, I dabbled in some other things like soccer, but, but basketball was my, was my true passion. Uh, baseball was something that I enjoyed, and I was lucky enough to be coached uh, in basketball by my father. And I, I remember growing up as a, being a point guard, of, of running the show, that he would often yell out these phrases, be quick but don't hurry, slow down, you're going too fast. Be under control. You're still out of control. Slow down. If only you would slow down, the game would just come so much easier for you. Well, for some odd reason, I I was too immature to understand exactly what that meant. And 10 to 15 years later, I, I understand exactly what he was talking about. But the very aspect of slowing down has always been hard for me. You see, part of my problem is I tend to go one speed, and that is full speed, until I come to a a crashing halt. There's times where people try to tell me to slow down, and I just can't seem to slow down for whatever reason. Even coming here, I was was rushing to get here today to get this sermon done. I just came from a a meeting, and I was just trying to, to rush to get here, and I realized that I need to slow down. You see... For me, I, I, as I said, I, I tend to go one speed, and that's, that's full speed. But see, what happens is when I go one speed and I go full speed, there are often things that fall through the cracks. And one of the things that's easiest for me in my life to fall through the cracks is, is my relationship with Jesus. I get caught up in having to be at this place or that place or, or realizing I've got to do this or I've got to do that. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a husband, I'm a father. I'm a director of student ministry, uh, director of student ministries director, and a seminary student. And so I've got four things that are constantly vying for my attention. Then I realize that I'm, I'm overwhelmed, I'm, I'm constantly worried, I'm, I'm always in a hurry, and I'm, and I'm rarely ever present fully in one place because I'm always worried about what's next on my schedule. Then I realize why I'm feeling that way, and it's because I've put Jesus to the wayside. I put the things of faith to the wayside that I say, you know what, I think I'm okay. You know, I'm, I'm reading my Bible for seminary. That's got to count, right? Or I read my Bible for church today. That counts, right? Or I, I read my Bible preparing for a sermon. That counts, right? No, it's only partial. I got to take time to slow down, to, to understand what, what the Holy Spirit is trying to, to tell me to do. And a lot of the times it's the exact same thing that my father told me, slow down, slow down. You see, this, this sermon series that we're kicking off is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's all about slowing down. It's a, it comes from a book that Pastor Megan and I read uh, in, in our staff meeting, and it, it meets at the heart of our culture and faith where our consumer-driven society leaves us distracted, stressed, and flustered. And as I was reading this book, I I caught a quote between uh, a conversation between uh, John Mark Comer, who wrote the book, and his mentor named John Ortberg. And one of John Ortberg's uh, mentors was this guy by the name of Dallas Willard. Maybe you've heard of him. He, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he, John Ortberg was having a discussion uh, with Dallas Willard one day, and Dallas Willard uh, told him, The reason why you are having issues right now is because 
you must eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life today. It is so true for people like John Mark Comer, and it's so true for me, and my guess is it's, it's true for you as well, is that we just don't take time to slow down. So for those of you who are wondering uh, where you can find this book, you can find this book on Amazon, or you can find this book uh, here at the church, uh, out in the welcome desk. We've got some copies out there as well. Or uh, one of my favorite places to buy, find used books is thriftbooks.com. You can usually find books for 2 to $3, and I just I love that place. But in this book, um, there's really four sections. There's, there's the problem, where he defines the problem. There's the solution, where he gives you the solution. And then somewhere between uh, the, the part at the end where there's four practical practices, there's this place called the intermission. And the intermission is really where John Mark Comer goes and takes everyone back to the spiritual disciplines. You know, the things that we forget about, right? Those spiritual disciplines of, of sitting in silence and tol- solitude and, and doing the things of faith. That's where he reminds us. But today we're going to talk about the problem. We're going to talk about the solution and we're going to talk about one of the practices that he recommends. And Pastor Megan, the next couple of weeks, will follow up with the rest of the three. But first, the, the problem. The, the problem is hurry, busyness, and resulting distractions are the biggest issues in our spiritual lives today. You see, hurry and busyness are something that I think we've all related to at some point in time in our life. It only seems to get worse as we age and we, we add more things to our plate or we add more kids into the mix and we just realize that we're just not taking time to slow down. Some of these, these areas include working too much and, and misplaced priorities. Did you know the average American works nearly four more weeks per year now than they did in 1979? Four more weeks. Most people don't even use their vacation time here in America. You see, in today's society, we have this, this uh, saying that it's, it's better to be busy than bored. But the problem is, the busier we get, the harder it is to focus on what matters. So we actually put things in our schedule that create hurry and busyness. We do. This is something that we do, that we are so enamored by, that we've got to be doing this, we've got to be doing that, that we don't realize what this takes on our spiritual souls um, for example, I found this, uh, this study done by this uh, group called FMI, uh, and it says, in, in 1970, Americans spent 26% of their food budget on eating out. And by 2010, that number had risen to 41%. And during that time, they found out something else as well, that obesity rates in the United States more than doubled. And see, the more, time, the more things that we add into our schedule— creates more busyness and hurry, um, and we end up just settling for, for food like McDonald's or Culver's or Taco Bell, um, and we don't realize what that actually does to our body. I'm going to say that statistic again. In 1970, Americans spent 26% of their food budget on eating out, and in 2010, that number had risen to 41%. But it's not only that. One of the ways that we, uh, that vies for our attention uh, is youth sports. And now, I'm a huge sports fan, and so this, this statistic really struck, stuck, uh, stuck out to me that 63% of American families spend anywhere between $100 to $499 per month on youth sports. That doesn't include the, uh, the, the, 
the money out to eat doesn't include the trips to, uh, you know, Indianapolis or Chicago or, or wherever. And I'm not, I'm not bashing youth sports because I love youth sports. And I, I know we have tons of families here that really balance this really well. But one of the issues is a lot of times we just say, hey, you know what? We don't have to go to church. We can, we can just settle for a mediocre version of, of Christianity by, by going to church maybe, maybe once, once a month. Now, we have aided in that. Like right now, I am doing this sermon via video. So you can enjoy it. So you can take church on the road. It's just a, it's a balance that we've got to be able to be intentional about how much time we are developing to our faith journey. But we also have other distractions that we have these things called cell phones and uh, gossip and social media and email and Netflix. And what people don't realize is the average American today spends 2.5 hours a day on their cell phone. 2.5 hours a day. Essentially, we say we don't have time for the things of faith, yet we spend 2.5 hours of our day on our cell phone. You see, sometimes... Our distractions and our hurriness are things of misplaced priorities. The problem with busyness and distractions is that they often have the same effect on us as sin and that they tend to cut off our connection to God, to others, and sometimes our own soul. In the book, John Ortberg goes to say this. He goes, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will skim our lives instead of actually living them. See, I believe that we really have truly settled for a mediocre version of our faith. So we've defined the problem and now the solution. The solution isn't more time. The solution is to slow down and simplify our lives around what really matters and what is really important. You see, we get the opportunity to set our schedules. And in the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you give your attention to. We get to choose what we put our time, our money, our attention, and our focus on. That is well within our grasp. That is well within our control. Now think about it. Examine your schedule. What takes up most of your schedule? Now, take what's in your schedule and and figure out where does Jesus fit into that schedule? And yes, by saying that, I am assuming that we try to fit Jesus into our schedule. Instead of the other way around of figuring our life around the things of Jesus and, and around the things of faith. But what we really do is... We try to put Jesus into our schedules when in reality our faith needs to take precedent and and be what is over and all-encompassing of our entire life instead of just part of our schedule. So the solution to our problem is, are you ready for this? It's that old Sunday school answer. It's to follow Jesus. The solution is to follow Jesus. That that is what is really important. Well, what does it mean to, to follow Jesus? Well, we have to look back to what Jesus did with the disciples when he said, come follow me. Those three words, come follow me, are so important when it comes to the things of faith. You see, when he told the disciples to come follow him, they all had trades, they had jobs, they had lives, they had interests, and yet they left everything to follow him. They said, yes, that your ways are so much better than our ways. And what Jesus was actually inviting them to do was to be his disciples. And to be a disciple 
is essentially to be an apprentice. And to be an apprentice, you are basically learning a skill or trade from somebody who is an expert at their craft. And what Jesus was asking them to do was to, number, to do three things. Number one was to be with him. Not only just to be with him, but to become like him and to, to do what he would do. That's what Jesus was doing. He was teaching and preaching and casting out demons and, and uh, performing miracles. And he was inviting others in on that journey. And Jesus was, was basically also teaching them uh, another way to, quote-unquote, shoulder the load. And a lot of times he used certain phrases and, and idioms to, to teach exactly what those were. And one of the things that uh, he talked a lot about was this thing about being a, a, of a yoke that we find in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, where it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, today when we think of yokes, we think of like egg yolks, and that's not exactly what Jesus was talking about. Uh, essentially, a yoke was a wood cross piece that is typically around an animal's neck that would um, be used to kind of keep two animals together to kind of help plow the cart to move forward or a cart to just kind of keep everything intact. And essentially what Jesus was inviting them to do was he was telling them to stop doing the things of what you were doing to come follow me. That I have a a better way, a better way for you to shoulder the load, just like that cross piece. Jesus says, I have a yoke that is easy and my burden is light. Dallas Willard said this, uh, In the book about uh, it it being an easy yoke, it says this, In this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. And our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully, while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does. It's a strategy that is bound to fail. In order to follow Jesus, we must take him up on that offer. And that offer is to, to give him the yoke, to, to let him have that yoke, to that, no fact that we are on a journey through life, that we are to sit at his feet and learn from him how to shoulder the load. You see, Jesus didn't promise an easy life, but he promised an easy yoke. So we talked about the promise, we talked about the solution. And now we're going to get to talk about one of the practices. And one of those practices is is one that I find is really hard for me, yet the most rewarding. It's this thing called silence and solitude. You see, a lot of times we think of complete silence as just utter silence, just like this. You hear that? You see, when things are silent, we are aware of what is going on around us. And silence and solitude are basically setting aside a time to be alone in a quiet place with, with God. We find this all throughout Scripture. We, we find out that one of the goals in life to, should be to live a quiet life, not a loud life, but a, a quiet life, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11. We also see from Jesus' life that he would often go off into a place of solitude before or after he did just about anything. We see in Mark 35 where it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place and he prayed. 
And the more we read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see how often he would actually do that, which ended up being quite often. Seriously, go back and look at the Gospels and just count how many times that Jesus went off to a solitary place to pray, to, to stay connected to the Father. And he's modeling exactly what that should look like for us. See, a lot of times we think of silence and solitude as, as isolation, but it's a way that we get a chance to open up ourselves to God, to, to understand what it is that we've got going on. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing by modeling that. And I found through my experience that I tend to, when I, when I have silence and solitude, I, I'm aware of what is going on in my mind. The Holy Spirit reveals things to me that I realize, man, my body's really tight. Why is that? Oh, my heart is racing. What, what's my heart and my mind are, are racing constantly because I'm going from this place to that place. When I realize as in silence and solitude, I become aware of the emotions that I have that I'm suppressing deep down inside that Jesus is trying to say, stop holding on to them. Give me those. Give me that. Let it take my yoke. Take, take my yoke. That yoke is easy if you just give it to me. You see, if we are truly going to follow Jesus, then we must be willing to be his apprentice, that we must be willing to be with him, to do the things that he did, and to learn to do what exactly he would want us to do if he were here right now. See, we've got to create space now more than ever because of technology. Because of technology, it's becoming harder to appreciate the value of being in silence. See, if you're anything like me, when you have a moment of free time, you just whip out your phone. Waiting in line at the store, you whip out your phone. You have a moment free in your day and you whip out your phone. And I'm, I'm so guilty of that. I just want to remind you that the average person, again, spends 2.5 hours of their day on their phone. 2.5 hours of their day looking like this at their phone when the rest of the world is going on around us. Perfect opportunities where Jesus might be trying to teach us something. So in order to combat this, we have to practice silence in solitude. And for me, in a perfect world, it's getting up, maybe going for a walk, drinking a cup of coffee, going downstairs and sitting alone before the Lord, reading his word and praying. And uh, there's other times that I do this as well. Sometimes on my Sabbath days, I, I tend to take my, my bike out and I, I tend to just go for a long bike ride for about uh, an hour to two hours. And I just Sometimes I put headphones in and sometimes I don't. And I say, Lord, just give me this time. Father, just let this time be used for you so you can speak to me and I can speak to you. And there's just beautiful communion when that that happens. You see, I, I tend to learn from God more by being out in nature and moving because that's how I'm wired. For each and every single one of us, we're all wired differently. Maybe for some of you, you can sit down in utter silence and hear from God. And that works great for you. But we're all wired different. We have to be willing to practice silence and solitude in different ways that helps us to be able to connect with God in a better way. And here's what we have to realize, though, is when we first start out, it's going to feel overwhelming. We're going we're to have our mind and uh, our heart just racing, and we're, our thoughts are going to be going from here to there. And what we have to do is we have to continue to keep doing this each and every single day, that we have to sit at the feet of Rabbi Jesus and let him speak to us. Remember that the busier that Jesus got, the more time he went spent praying and being in communion with God. So what can we do? What are some practical applications that we can take away from today? is number one, that we can examine 
our life. We can examine our life. Here's what it says in Ephesians 15 through 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. There are so many different things in this world that are evil, that, uh, that are vying for our time and attention. And a lot of times when we think of evil, we think of violence or crime or rage, but a lot of times evil is right in front of us. It's in a spiritual form, though, in the form of hurriness and busyness and distractions. We've got to examine our life exactly what we are giving our time and attention to. So the number one was to examine your life. Number two was to, to get alone with Jesus and practice silence and solitude. Set a plan of how you're going to do it and, and where. Be consistent. And the best thing is to do this is first thing in the morning. The one thing that you can control is what time you wake up and how you spend that first 15 minutes or an hour alone. You get a chance to set the pace for the rest of your day by sitting in silence and solitude. And lastly, is to listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. We are so great at praying and giving our requests and our commands back to God. But the one thing that we are as not as good at is allowing Jesus to speak back to us. One of my, my greatest phrases that I, I take away from the Old Testament is in, in either First or Second Samuel, where it says, Speak, O Lord, for your servant is listening. You see, we are Christ's servants, and we are called to, to listen to him, to, to listen to what it is that he is trying to say to us. And, and to listen, we've got to be willing to listen, but that we've got to be willing to apply that. So to recap those three is examine your life, get alone with Jesus, and practice silence and solitude, and listen to Jesus. Just like my father would tell me, be quick, but don't hurry. Slow down, you're going too fast. Be under control. You're still going out of control. Slow down. If you'd learn to be under control and slow down, the game would be a lot easier for you. You see, a lot of times we treat life as a game. In reality, it can feel like that. But we've got to be willing to slow down and relentlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for who you are, for giving us a model in Jesus of what it means to, to practice silence and solitude and to, to see how he relentlessly eliminated hurry from his life by being in communion with you, Father. I pray that throughout this next week and through the rest of this series and the rest of life that we can, we can do just that, that we can learn to slow down, to be in communion with you each and every single day. We thank you for giving Jesus as a model for that. We thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.